If you would, would you turn to the book of Daniel? Uh, We are week uh, four in our series in the book of Daniel, and the series is entitled Stand Stand Up and Stand Out. I've had a few people uh, talk to me over the last couple of weeks. Um, Man, Daniel just seems like so relevant. That was such a good choice, and I was like, well, it's Lindsay's discernment. She's the one that told me to preach it, so here we are. Um, She said our church needed this message in these days, and I agree, and I think it's quite relevant for us. So as we get into uh, Daniel 6 today, that famous story, Daniel and the lion's den, I just, I hope that this very familiar story, this narrative will be um, strengthening, encouraging, uh, will give you a sense of resolve uh, and renewal today in your faith and in your faith in God to, to stand up and to stand out. Let me, let me ask you this question to start with. What, what would you do if there was a national edict from the government that forbid you to pray to God and that if you were caught praying to God, you would, you would the, the penalty for that would be capital punishment. It would be the death like seriously, like to consider that question, what would you do in that situation? I, I want us to consider that in many ways, uh, we are living, we are currently living in Daniel days. Now, that is uh, some of the reality of what is happening in our world. Here's, here's what I mean by that. Christianity is under attack. We've been talking, I think we talked about this week one, that we are living in a post-Christian society. Um, Christian values are less and less honored by our society and more and more laws are being made that come against the way of Jesus. Reminds you of Jesus's famous words uh, to his disciples. He is uh, preparing them for this reality in their lives. It's Thursday night before Good Friday. It's the Last Supper. And he, it's the last words that he, some of the last words he would speak to his disciples. And this is what he told the disciples Last Supper. He told them, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me first. So I, I'm with you in this. Like if the world hates you, if the world comes against you, just know that it, it, it came against me first. If you were of the world, it would love you as its own. In other words, like if you, were, if you were part of the world, if you were in the way of the world, the world would embrace you. But because you are not of this world, the world hates you because I have chosen you out of the world. Um, this is like Urban Dictionary stuff. Do you guys know what moxie is? You ever heard of that phrase? Like, like you have moxie. Like if you're not familiar with that phrase, like moxie just means like guts and courage. Like if you have moxie, you have some guts, you have some courage. Um, do, you have, do you have gritty faith? We've talked about that in the Jude series. We're talking about it in the Daniel series. Do you have, do we have, are we stirring up faith moxie in our lives? Jesus knew that the 12 disciples on the night before his crucifixion They needed encouragement and exhortation around having faith moxie, having some guts and some courage because they would face persecution. They would face the hatred of the world. We've been talking a lot in this series of of Daniel 
about uh, having a humble yet courageous faith. We're, we're calling the series Stand Up, Stand Out. Have humility, certainly, but yet also having a courage in our faith. And today, Daniel 6 would be another example for us of faith moxie, of humble and courageous faith. This is a, a famous story. Many of us have known this story for our lives. If this is a new story for you today, wonderful. It's an incredible story. And I think we perhaps need this story today, maybe more than we've ever needed it before in our lives. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna retell the story. Uh, I'm gonna um, share some verses. We're not gonna read the entire passage, but I'm gonna retell the story. We're gonna work through the narrative. And then throughout the, the, the journey together in our time, I'm gonna give you some relevant points for you to consider for your life. And then at the end of our time together, I'm gonna put all six of these points up and you'll have some space to consider how the Lord, how the Holy Spirit might be leading you to uh, engage these uh, points as we work through it. Historical context in the narrative, uh, Bab the Babylonian Empire, end of chapter five, the Babylonian Empire, the king was Belshazzar, has now been taken over by the Medo-Persian Empire. At the end of chapter five, you remember last week, King Belshazzar of the Babylonian Empire did not humble himself, did not repent, and he came under God's judgment, and he faced the wrath of God, and he was killed. And now the new king of the Medo-Persian Empire is Darius. We've been talking about Daniel and his three friends in chapters one through three, and they were young teenage boys. They, they were um, enslaved in the Babylonian empire. They were taken as exiles out of Jerusalem. Now, it's many, many years later. Daniel, uh, based on the timelines in the book, Daniel is now in his 80s. He's an old man in the narrative today, and he has been faithfully living to God, before God, in exile for really his whole life since he was a young teenage boy. And again, under this new regime, we saw this uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar uh, and now under King Darius, uh, under this new regime, Daniel is once again uh, promoted, he is honored, he is favored, he is distinguished because God continues to exalt his humble yet courageous faith. We see it over and over. God provides, he favors, he positions, he influences the life of Daniel through his humble and courageous faith. We'll see that again today. Uh, basically what happens uh, in the historical context is Darius, uh, he organizes his kingdom uh, under um, these different provinces. Uh, and there are 120 at the beginning of the chapter, I think it's called satraps, say, say traps, satraps. And there's 120 of them. And then he puts three administrators over the 120 satraps. I gotta figure out how to say that for the next service. I'm gonna listen to one of those. You guys ever listen to the Bible and that guy's like speaking and he tells you how to pronounce things? I, I ain't gonna listen to him. Anyway, um, three administrators over these 120 uh, kind of government officials. And then Daniel is about to be promoted as the administrator, as the prime minister, if you will, over all of it. That is what is transpiring at the beginning of chapter six. Um, well, similar to what happened in chapter uh, three, the locals didn't like it. The uh, the, maybe they're the, the Medo-Persian locals, perhaps some of the Babylonian 
Uh, Folks, uh, people that were in leadership under Daniel did not like Daniel's promotion over them. They they did not uh, like the king's uh, promotion of Daniel. They resented it. Uh, And so similar to chapter three and what happened to uh, Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael, there's this devious plot that has been launched by envious, uh, racist, jealous leaders in the empire against Daniel because of their resentment, which brings me to relevant point uh, number one. Oop, where is it? Oop, can you see it? Okay, Uh, relevant point number one. Jealousy and envy are dangerous and jealousy and envy, it opens the door for evil. Where there is jealousy and envy and resentment and strife and selfish ambition, the door of evil opens. The scriptures talks about uh, don't give the devil a foothold. And when we operate in jealousy and envy, we give, we give the enemy a foothold in our lives. And we would be wise to consider what is the source of jealousy and envy when it creeps into the lives of people. I want to um, read a few verses out of James chapter 3. James chapter 3, uh, harboring bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. It does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly. It is unspiritual. It is demonic. Harboring resentment that leads to jealousy and envy and strife, it is Demonic, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. And so for us to understand the source of jealousy, envy, selfish ambition is the enemy of our souls. And what we see in Daniel chapter six, the conspirators are so envious, they're so jealous of Daniel, they're being led by the demonic. They, they seek to find any grounds they can find for complaint against Daniel before the king. And so they're so jealous and they're so envious, we're gonna find anything we can to bring judgment against him, but they could not find any error or fault in his life, which is remarkable to me. To have a group of people, to consider this for a moment, a group of people are gonna come against you and they're gonna look at your life and they're gonna look at your bank records and they're gonna talk to your neighbors and they're gonna talk to people you work with, they're gonna talk to your boss, they're gonna talk to people who serve under you and they're gonna try to find anything against you to find any fault whatsoever to bring to the king. This is intense, but they could not find any error. It's remarkable in Daniel's life. His character and his integrity were unquestioned. He didn't cut corners. He was honest in his life. I, um, many of you guys know I coach basketball here in town. I'm the JV basketball coach at Rocky Mountain High School. And I talk to our young men all the time about integrity. And when we talk about integrity, here's how I define integrity to the young men that play in our program. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one else is watching. There's a a character, there's a moral compass that resides so deeply in your soul, in your heart, that even when no one's watching, I will operate in an 
in a way of integrity and honesty and character that I will do the right thing. That, that is Daniel. That is Daniel's life. I think perhaps the best way for us to describe Daniel is that he persevered. Remember, from the time he was 14 or 15, now to his 80s, he persevered as an exile in faithfulness to God. It's remarkable that they couldn't find any error in Daniel's life, which brings me to relevant point number two. You guys, integrity matters. Integrity matters matters. As we've seen in previous stories so far, God exalts the humble and courageous faith of Daniel and his three friends. And he does it through these pagan kings. He does it through King Nebuchadnezzar. He does it now through King Darius. Daniel was a good steward, a faithful steward, hear this, of the time God gave him, of the talents that God gave him, and of the treasures that God gave him. He was a faithful steward. He was faithful unto God with what God had given him. And you and I, we are called to to be the same. We are called to be faithful stewards of the time and the talent and the treasures that God has given us. Remind you of Jesus in um, Luke chapter 10, the parable of the shrewd manager, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy, if you have not had integrity in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working unto the Lord or for the Lord and not for, man, that, that is Daniel. And he is a model for us, I believe, in our day as well to, to think about integrity matters in our lives. So in finding these conspirators, uh, back to the story, uh, no fault in Daniel whatsoever the jealous officials concluded they must look for something in the law of Daniel's God to come against him. And so their demonic intent, remember the source of jealousy and envy and strife and selfish ambition is is the enemy and their demonic intent was to undermine him based on his religious practices. So here's what they decide to do. They know, they know that Daniel has integrity. They know that his commitment is to God no matter what. They've seen it over and over and over and over in his life. This is well known in, um, among the people that he knew, that he had influence over. In exile, Daniel was not a secret agent believer hoping not to be found out. So let me say that again so you understand what I'm saying. Daniel did not go into exile hoping to be a secret agent believer, follower of Yahweh hoping to never be found out because there would be grave consequences for him. He followed God openly and he served him regardless of the consequences over and over and over again. And the conspirators knew this. So they get together, it's like, okay, boys, we've got to do something related to his service and his faith in God. So here's what we do. We're going to come to Darius and we're going to play on his own ego, 
We're gonna come up with something and we're gonna, we're gonna come to Darius. We're gonna play on his own ego. We're gonna manipulate him into something and say, hey, let's create this law that anyone who prays to anyone other than you, Darius, any, any, if you pray to any other God, if you pray to any man, if you, if you, if you trusted anything other than the king, then that person shall be cast into the den of lions. There's a, a custom, this Medo-Persian empire custom uh, dictated that once an injunction was signed into law by the king, when a king put a signet ring, uh, they usually wore it around, like a, uh, around their uh, neck and it was like a signet ring. And when they put that signet ring, their seal on the law, it couldn't be changed. Even the king, once he put the signet on the law, couldn't go back and change it. And so they come up with this, this, this law and Darius gets totally manipulated by it. He gets, his, his ego gets the best of him and he puts his signet ring on it. He signs it and that immediately puts Daniel's life in jeopardy. The murder plot was ready. This is where I want to pick up the story with you. Daniel 6, starting in verse 10. I'm gonna actually read through verse 18. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Remember, we are in the old covenant. Jerusalem is where the temple is. And in the temple was the holy of holies where the presence of God is. And so they, they pray to Jerusalem because that is where God is. They're praying to God. Three times a day, he got down on his knees, humble, humble, courageous faith, and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. When Daniel learned of the decree, what did he do? He went to his room, he opened the curtains for anyone to see, he got down on his knee, and he prayed three times a day to God, just as he had done before, just as he had been doing his entire life in exile. Nothing was changing for Daniel. Then these men went as a group and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly, this is ironic, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And then the king returned 
to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. Daniel gets word that this edict was signed by the king and he knew it was serious. He knew he was in crisis. He knew he was in trouble. What does he do? What's the first thing he does when he finds out, when he knew that this was signed, what does he do? He goes and he prays. He always prayed with his window open three times a day, morning, Jewish tradition, morning, noon, night, three times a day. He always had been doing that, and he does that again. This wasn't going to stop now. He wasn't going to stop now. Faith moxie in full effect in the life of Daniel. Trusting God, hear this, I will trust God over bowing in fear to man. As his friends, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, they would not bow to that golden statue of King Nebuchadnezzar, that 90-foot gold statue in chapter three. As they would not bow, Daniel also would not bow to the edict prohibiting him from praying to God even at the cost of his own life. And it's just overwhelming for me to think about it. What would we do? What would you do? Relevant point number three. Daniel did not look to the world for answers to his problem. He did not, in his, in his situation, he knew he was in a crisis. He knew he was in trouble. He knew there was a big problem. But he did not look to the world to solve his problems. He looked to God. Daniel was obeying a higher authority than Darius. He knew that God is always the believer's first and best line of defense. One of the things that stood out to me when I looked at this, and I wanna point it out to you if you wanna look at chapter six, verse 10, again with me. How does Daniel begin his prayer I want us to notice, like, how does he begin his prayer? Knowing that his life was in real danger, knowing that he would face, apart from the supernatural, miraculous rescue of God, knowing that he was about to face his own martyrdom for his faith, I want you to notice how he begins his prayer in verse 10. It doesn't say he prayed real hard as if praying really, really hard works better than praying. I think that happens sometimes to us when we get nervous. We're like, I'm praying really hard. It's just faith is, prayer is faith, just pray. Even if it's a mustard seed, it's faith. It's like, we gotta get off this treadmill of like, I pray harder, which means God does more. Just pray, just pray, have faith. Even even if it's a wobbly faith, even if you need to bring someone in alongside you to pray with you and to agree with you, pray. But it doesn't say he prayed real hard. It doesn't say he brought complaint to God, blaming God. What does it say? Somebody tell me, what does it say he did first? When he went in his room, he opens the curtains, he gets down on his knee, as he always does, and he prayed. It says he does one thing first, and what is it? He gave thanks. 
He started with giving thanks. If it were me, I would probably be wallowing in fear. I probably would even be blaming God for the situation. I've been, in, I've been faithful in exile all these years. I'm 80 years old now. And this is what I get now, God? This is what happens to my life? It doesn't say that's what Daniel does. It says Daniel gave thanks. He began his prayer with thanksgiving. And after he brought thanks unto God for his goodness in his life, then he asked God for help. I think that is really instructive for us today. Begin with thanks, brought petition and plea for help and guidance. He opens the curtain. He, does, he knows that they're gonna be watching. And like little adolescent tattletales, the conspirators are there and they see him and they run, they run to Darius to tell on Daniel, which was the whole concoction, that was the whole plan from the beginning. And it's interesting to me as I think about this, they go to Darius and go, Daniel pray, pays no attention to you. He keeps praying to his God, which shouldn't have surprised Darius because when Darius, what he told Daniel before they lowered him into the, into the den was like, may God whom you serve continually rescue you. Darius knew that Daniel prayed three times a day. Darius knew that Daniel served his God continually and he promoted him right under Darius throughout the entire, this shouldn't have been any surprise to Darius at all. But here's what happened to Darius. He got blinded by his pride. He got manipulated by his own ego. And it says in verse 14, it says he was distressed. He was distressed. Certainly, I think he was distressed because he knew he couldn't change the law because he put his signet on it. And he had high respect and high value for Daniel. And so he was concerned about Daniel's life for sure. But also, I think he was distressed because he realized that he had been duped by his own men that his pride, they had manipulated him and he had been duped by his own men to sign this thing to begin with. Which brings me to relevant point number four, be careful of your pride. Pride puts blinders on your decision-making. Pride will negatively influence decisions that you make, that I make, that we make in our lives. And so before making important decisions, we would be wise to consider matters of faith, matters of integrity, uh, selflessness, and evaluate possible consequences of a decision that we might make. And so if Darius doesn't get blinded by his pride, he would consider before he puts his signet on the law, this this is gonna mean Daniel will have to go in the lion's den because I know that Daniel serves God continually, but he gets blinded by his pride. Proverbs 29, 20 says, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Darius was hasty and he got blinded by his own Pride, And there was nothing that the king could do now. He had no choice now. It was a law of the Medes and the Persians. Daniel would be lowered into the lion's den. This was a brutal form of execution. Like, um, like crucifixion on a cross was known by the Roman Empire in the day of Jesus as a brutal form of capital punishment and execution. Putting people to their death in lion's dens 
was, uh, was typical of the Medo-Persian Empire. It's called a den, which is an uh, Aramaic word that is translated to dig. And so what they would do is they would, uh, in the side of a hill, they would dig into a side of a hill and create this space and lions would be in there and people would literally be lowered into these lions' dens to their death. The king is distressed and he says to Daniel again, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. It's, um, it's ironic for me. Daniel served God continually, which is what got him in the situation to begin with. And now the king expresses his desire that the most high God would rescue Daniel. I, I think it's amazing that this pagan king of the Medo-Persian empire knew and saw that Daniel served God continually. I think that's a a really relevant point for us uh, this morning to think about. Do people people know, do do they see in my life, in your life, that you love and serve God continually? The King Darius saw that in Daniel, and so that's why he said, may this God that you serve rescue you. This, this is, I, I don't make this relevant point in some kind of ego way. At, hey, look what I'm doing for God. Everybody look at what I'm doing for God. We have plenty of scriptures that rebukes this kind of selfish, uh, look at me mindset, right? Um, but I'm asking you to consider this relevant point in a, in a humble way. Is your honor of God in your life, is your love of God, is your service of God noticeable to people that they would say of you, he or she, they serve God continually. I see it all the time. Even people who don't believe what you believe and they don't follow Jesus like you follow Jesus, would people like Darius who don't know God and who don't follow God, would they say that about you just because of the way they see you humbly living your life prayerfully with humble and courageous faith. The king was not only aware that Daniel loved and served God, but that he did it continually. This is what the Bible calls being light in darkness. Let's read Daniel 19 to 23 as we continue the story. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. That was a proper way in these empires to address the king. We've seen that phrase a few times as we've worked through the story. O king, live forever forever. My God sent his angel. Remember, remember the fourth person in the fiery furnace who looked like the sons of the gods? My God sent his angel and he shuts the mouths of the lions and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. And the king was overjoyed and he gave Orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. When I remember uh, this story when I was a young boy and I always had this visual that Daniel was in the lion's den with Jesus who shut the mouths of the lions. And then the lions just kind of became like pets. And like Daniel named the pets. And he like 
slept with the lions, like it was just like Chronicles of Narnia, you know, like talking lions, you know, I just, I don't know, I've always had that visual that it was just like this fun, exciting place for Daniel to be all night uh, with these lions. I love that, da- that Darius said that Daniel's God is the living God. The same God who can deliver from fire can also deliver from lions. This is probably another appearance of the Lord Jesus himself, the pre-incarnate Christ Jesus showing up to rescue and save before he would come in the first advent many years later. Daniel's rescued. The end of the story, verse 24 to the end. And at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den and along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. That phrase again, the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His kingdom will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders. Signs are miracles with a message. When you see signs and wonders in the text, a sign is a, is a miracle with a message, usually from an angel. That's a sign. And a wonder is just the supernatural reality of what God does. It just brings people to a sense of awe. It's why, it's why we would stand and sing amazing grace. The wonder of grace is amazing that Jesus saves and rescues and he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I, I wanna close with three foundational truths that I want us to find strength in today from these verses, this declaration from King Darius. The first thing, our God is the living God who endures forever. If you know and follow Jesus, your God, Jesus himself is the living God and he endures forever and he brings you with him forever. Worldly kingdoms rise and fall, but the kingdom of heaven will endure forever. Second foundational theological truth, his kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. Christ came exercising his dominion forever and ever. I believe that we see the pre-incarnate Christ Today in our story, if we think about Luke chapter one, the story of Gabriel coming to Mary. And he says to Mary in Luke 1.33, of his kingdom, of the kingdom of the Messiah, Jesus himself, there will be no end. Revelation 11.15, Jesus shall reign forever and Ever. Our God is the living God who endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. And thirdly, Jesus rescues and he saves with signs and wonders, both in the heavens and on the earth. If you believe and follow Jesus, you believe in the miraculous and the supernatural. Make 
room, friends, for the supernatural, miraculous work of God in your life. He is the living God. You can trust Jesus and we always find our hope, our refuge, and our peace in Jesus. So I stand here today, I proclaim Jesus to you. In the name of Jesus, we gather, we worship, we fellowship, we serve, we go in the name of Jesus. Relevant point number six, let us be grateful. Let us be grateful. The prayer of Daniel goes to his room. He starts with gratitude. Let us be grateful from Hebrews 12, 28. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I pray this gives you great encouragement and strength today. I wanna bring all six of these points up. Do we have that slide? Do we have a slide of all six? Oh, oh, we do? Oh, great. I just wanna bring these up. The worship team's gonna come back up. We're gonna sing one more song. And I just wanna invite you. Um, there may be other relevant points that the Lord is speaking to you through this story. As I prepared this message, these are the six relevant points that I believe the Lord was engaging with me on. And so I, I, I offer them to you um, for your encouragement and your exhortation this morning. And I just, wa- I just wanna invite you as we um, close just to ponder on these six. What is God saying to you? Uh, maybe there's another relevant point from this story that God is speaking to you about uh, as well. But maybe there's one or two of these specifically today that is uh, really jumping off uh, the scripture for you. I, I would encourage you to Um, allow the Holy Spirit to uh, highlight one or two of these and to consider what it might look like in your life um, to bring application from this story into your own life. And so if we could uh, just give a couple of minutes uh, for this. So I'll have the worship team pray or play for a couple of minutes and then we'll sing uh, our last song uh, together this morning.